Where am I? The podcast. Who are you? I'm the new number two. What do you want? Information. You won't get it. Well, by hook or by crook, I will. You can edit this bit out, obviously. That was a say, um... Okay. <laughs> okay. You've gone a bit zippy now. Yeah, I know. Okay. Well, no, it's the Weetabix advert, wasn't it? Yeah. Do you remember the Weetabix yeah, advert yeah, when they yeah, moved, like, yeah. politically incorrect skinheads wearing their sort of really super yeah. tight... You were in a Weetabix, you are. Yeah. 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 Or we'll come and duck you up. Yeah. 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 Well, run VT. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Isaacs and welcome to episode 22 of Nerdology and if you haven't guessed already we're going to be talking about The Prisoner and my guests today are Peter Weber, hello and Phil Linus, hello guys I've asked you on because it, I felt it was quite an important series to cover and I think it was Peter that suggested it. It was me who came to you with the idea. Yeah. Yeah. It's one I've kind of had in the back of my mind for a while but what was kind of putting me off doing it was I hadn't seen it for a long, 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 long time. Mm. Um, I watched it back in the 80s when they showed it on um, Channel 4, which I think was about 83. So I would have been about 10. So it probably would have come across slightly differently to me as a kid than it would do watching it as an adult now. I've seen a couple of episodes, but I didn't feel that well qualified to talk about it, whereas you guys are, well, I wouldn't say aficionados, but you do like it a lot. I have seen it too many times, yes. But so, it's still something people talk about, yeah. which I like, after you know it finished in sort of 67, 68, mm. and people are still discussing it's it. It's perfect now. podcast material, because it's only seven episodes, but it's so dense, it's so... There's 17! So there. <laughs> 17! Where were you? It's meant, <laughs> to, be episodes. Episodes. It's meant to be seven episodes. It's meant to be seven. Okay. Meant to be seven yeah, episodes. Yeah. So, I said 17. Yeah. No, you said seven. I said 17. <laughs> well, let's start again. <laughs> So, Bill, tell us about how The Prisoner actually came to be. How did it get started? Okay, came to be um, about 1966. Patrick McGoohan had been doing a spy series on television called Danger Man. Didn't it go by a different name in the States? Uh, I think it was called, it was called Secret Agent That's right. in the United States. Yeah. Uh, Danger Man in the UK. He'd done a, a lot of episodes. I think he'd probably done over 80 episodes mm-hmm. and had really had enough of doing the series. Uh, he then uh, went to Lou Grade at ITC. Mm-hmm. And Lou Grade was pretty much a guy you don't see now. A big sort of mogul, smokes big cigars, but he never read scripts. And that was the thing. He just said to people, what's the idea? So McGoon went to him, pitched the idea of what he had for the prisoner, which was secret agent, mm-hmm. gassed, wakes up in a place called The Village. Lou Grade... Listen to him, says, I really don't know what you're talking about, um, but it could work. Let's shake on it. And they did the deal. And that's how The Prisoner started. Because a lot of people seem to think that it's a continuation of Danger Man, but I'm not sure that's... Yeah, there, there, there is that. There is a thing, I think, 
in a, in a way, I'll argue these points later on for and against. I think McGowan had really had enough of Danger Man. Mm-hmm. And symbolistically, it's almost like he'd had enough of John Drake. And then John Drake, you know, it's almost he was so much living Danger Man that mm-hmm. he was, you know, he wakes up trapped in the village and can't get out of it. Um, and there are lots of references to Danger Man, which mm-hmm. I can sort of talk about later on. But when you've done any long-running series for that time, it's difficult. Yeah as an actor, to get out of it. But Grade, amazingly, gave him so much free reign. These days, series films have to go through so many channels. Committees. It's mm. people Committees. sat round. And before you even get started, you have to say, well, what is it about? Yeah. How can we make sure it appeals to everybody? How can we spell it out? So it's a series which you cannot imagine ever being done today no. with the same level of freedom. And that's... So it's kind of... It's not just a reflection of McGowan's vision, almost, mm. but it's all to, to do with the way that television could be done Wait, you know, in, in a certain situation, and and which you just would not get now. And it's so, how would you sum up the appeal of the prisoner to someone who's never watched it before? What is it about this program that you feel is really special about it? It it's it doesn't. You have to work with it. You, mm. you don't just simply watch it. I mean, if it would have been a spy drama, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I, mean, I think the confusion with the prisoner is when people approach it, they mm. approach it as a, as a ITC spy series, and that's how people sit down and watch it, and they take it literally. Mm-hmm. So they see. Um, the, the villagers number two they see the other characters and they see them as spies or agents or whatever mm-hmm. and so they see it on a very literal continuation of, of what, what what the genre was at the time yeah. whereas I, th- I think the key to watching and to understanding it is to watch it as a piece of surrealism first mm-hmm. to watch it as, as as something which you know has meaning and I think then you, you can then simulate it as you go along Taking it in a certain way. If you if you if you watch it as sort of an unfolding spy drama yeah. and trying to make it logically fit into the spy drama category, you will then find so many contradictions and things that don't make sense. You then go, well, this isn't what I wanted, <laughs> and then you feel disappointed. In which you know, from what I can tell, yeah. I mean, obviously we weren't around at the time, so we wouldn't have known what the press reaction was like and mm-hmm. the public reaction. But apparently, he was vilified and he got hate mail and all this. Yeah. Things, you know, people just didn't get it and they hated him for it. I think Which in England there was really. a real backlash when the last mm. episode went out because I think a lot of people felt like. They'd been slightly hoodwinked he, into he went, watching. He went it. to America, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. but literally he was attacked. I'm not sure it was verbally or physically, but certainly on the street, maybe both. And mm. yeah, the the ending, um, which we'll probably know. Should we talk about the end? The <laughs> I don't know. This Let's is try like, and make it slightly chronological. Yeah. Well, perhaps then. talk about the end later. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, he was. They they were upset because uh, a lot of the series is about who number one is. Mm-hmm. You don't find out at the end, and we'll talk about who it is later. But mm. McGowan said people expect me very much a big James Bond, Blofeld uh-huh. type villain. And that so, so in the, which ties into the whole thing I was saying about people expect a mm. spy drama or they expect some sort of regular ITC series where it's all punch ups and stuff. Mm. I mean, it's interesting watching the trailers for, for, for these, the American trailers for, mm-hmm. for the series for each episode, where you've got an American voiceover artist who, do, who does, the, I think he's the same guy who did the Batman ones. Yeah. So it's all like, sort of like slightly corny. Tune in next week, and it's all very punch ups. It's all very and all the bits say highlight all the action bits that would appeal to people. So they don't say zap or pow on the screen. They might as well people. have done, yeah. but um, it's that kind of market where it's it, it's it's that that's that's the wonderful conflict of interest going on mm-hmm. here, where you've got a show which is a bit not which would really be shown on BBC Four now if it was made, <laughs> um, you know, and then, but yet it's being shown to people. Who just uh, what, you know straight after watching Beverly Hillbillies yeah. or whatever, whatever on TV? I think a lot of people might, if they weren't quite sure of how to gauge the program and what it was trying to say, they would just look at the the whole setup of the village and the whole numbering system. Because for anyone who's uninitiated, when you enter the village, you lose your name. You just become a number. It's worth saying if you haven't seen it yet. 
Don't listen to this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop this pro- the podcast Come now. Come back in seven minutes, seventeen episodes yeah. time. Um, Should we yeah. actually just set the scene in case is there anyone out there listening who may not see the prisoner because there may be because initially that a thing to do though it is well no no <laughs> no not giving it away but just say the the opening of the prisoner it's all in the opening titles so if you watch the opening mm-hmm. titles of the episode or something from the second episode onwards basically this man drives his car a very he cool goes, it's a very K-7 nice car like and he he's, he's yeah he's a secret agent he drives to headquarters hands in his resignation letter, goes home to pack, gas emerges through the door in his house, he wakes up, thinking he's still in his house, opens the door, he's in a completely different place, he's trapped in somewhere called the village. And the whole series is him attempting to escape from the village. Mm -hmm. You can get that from the opening title, so anyone can pick that up. And that is basically the plot, but there's While we're on the subject of the opening titles, we cannot... Um, move away from that before we mention the theme tune which is brilliant one of my all time favourites yeah Ron Grainer did the theme tune uh, yeah. but all credit um, who knows the truth but according to to what I've read and you can always what you believe um, Patrick McGoon couldn't write music ah. and Patrick McGoon said I've got the theme tune mm-hmm. and he whistled it to Ron Grainer mm-hmm. and then Ron Grainer composed it and then he got Delia Derbyshire to no no that's, yeah. that's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that <was the> <laughs> but I mean Grainer's the way he struck up I mean, the, the theme is fantastic mm. the instruments he uses it's it's brilliant now it's very timeless it does what thing. every signature tune should do it kind of sets you up for the programme and gets you excited and you want to watch it and the fact is it's quite long as well which yeah. I think is quite nice I mean again modern stuff tends to be a lot more punchy a lot mm-hmm. more I mean to have to have a, basically a, a very long reprise mm-hmm. um, that, that just goes, it does go on I mean when he brings his head up every time the whole thing just slows right down yeah. <laughs> you know it, it just the pace it just goes back and forth all the time and that's what's quite nice about it yeah it? I just thought that it is a very long theme tune it's thinking back I've got a few CDs with theme tunes of sort of IT TC series, things like yeah. Random Hotcoke Deceased, and you only get a snippet of them. Whereas mm. on The Prisoner, you pretty much get the full theme with him doing the resignation each time and then the voiceover of who the number two is each week that mm. changes. But yeah, it's, it's probably one of the longest themes mm. that's been done. I think the whole thing with the numbers, was that supposed to be some sort of comment on... Um, Society and we're kind we're of heading into theory territory now. Uh, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, surely that's the idea of a program. Aren't yeah. you supposed to take from it what you will and or am I? Well, that's what Patrick McGowan says. I mean, there's this quote where he says um, what what you wanted to do was something where people, uh, a thousand people could come away with completely different readings of it. And I don't think that's true. I don't think you can come away with completely different readings. I think there's there's very only a really number of a relative few number of meanings you can apply to mm. it. I don't think it's. It's quite as complicated where, you know, you'd watch it in a thousand people, a thousand different theories. I think that's a bit... If you were being really snarky about it, could you just say, well, that's someone who didn't really know where they were going with it and that's a kind of an easy sort of cop-out answer? Well, no, because I think the central idea, my, th- my theory on it is essentially it's to do with... I mean, I mean and to go back to the numbering system, mm. um, what I think that, that represents is because number one is it's himself... He says ruining it for everybody. Who's Spoilers! It's his alter ego. It's his alter ego. How dare he? I like, I like to think. I like to think that all the numbers are sides of the same person. Mm. So um, because because no one's given a name because they're all him. Um, he's number six, but the, but the, but they're a number five, seven, eight, whatever. All these other. Well, they're number seven. I mean, it's very much of his time. We're talking sixty-seven, sixty-eight. So um, there was a, little, a massive movement, sort of trying to break away from. Um, organised sort of society yeah. and that kind of... It's a very hippie... Yeah, yeah. And um, the whole thing of being given a number and not having your name is kind of like, you're working for the man, this mm. is it, you're you're the prisoner. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I can kind of see it working on that level, though, if you're coming at it from the the previous kind of Danger Man sort of ethos, the way they had those sorts of shows set up. You just see it as a spy community and the numbers having, go yeah, up. The, the a code number like 007. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Oh, because there were random numbers in the village. People had numbers into the hundreds. Yeah. It wasn't just all the early numbers. There were different numbers. The numbers didn't tend to mean much. I and think it, Magoon or someone said numbers, you know, number six was, was a number, a good number because you could turn it upside down and it meant something different. Mm. You could do that with nine as well, okay, obviously, but <laughs> but that was the thing. It was. It was it's interesting because there's there some press press people in the story who were mm. like I think from memory it's 117A yeah. 117B okay. which is a curious one because that was the photographer around the journalist yeah that's yeah. right yeah. and so you'd think well that's a curious thing so presumably if they're both set the sides of the same personality then it kind of figures that they're A and B so mm. it's a nice little again it, it, I, I, think, I think what you have to look at Knowing who the prisoner was, you have to look at his the prisoners around him, mm-hmm. because that's 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 the weirdest thing. I mean, the fact that, um, for instance, it's lots of young people for a spy mm-hmm. community. If it was all these people who had committed crimes against the state, but you get mm-hmm. you get young teenagers. I mean, what are yeah. they doing there? Yeah, I mean that's just that's that's crazy. Bonkers. That's bonkers. Yeah, get eighteen year old spies. I mean that's just nuts. <laughs> you know, teeny boppers trying to you know in the, in the general episode where they're learning stuff. I mean, so the actual place it takes place is in reality is Port Marion in Wales mm. and um, the idea is that ostensibly it looks like it's just a, you know, obviously a very cool looking village but somewhere where there's no bars as such for you to, yeah. to keep you there um, but every time he tries to escape it all goes horribly pear shaped and he ends up back there again and they've got this rover system which I saw a, a clip of an interview with Patrick McGowan and the original idea for Rover was going to be this kind of um, all-terrain vehicle that could go around and sort of capture people who were trying to escape. Mm. And on day one of shooting, they tried it on a beach and they drove it into the sea and it was supposed to come back out again. It just stayed in the sea and never came back. Um, so the story goes, according to him, uh, is that they were kind of stuck for what to do and looked up into the sky and saw this weather balloon and thought, oh, that would be cool. How long would it take to get some of those together? And by you know some short time, they'd already grabbed a few. And by the time they'd finished making the programme, they'd used thousands and thousands of these things. That's quite an iconic part yeah. of the programme, isn't it? And also as well, I mean, I, I, I take Rover assuming that it's to do with, again, the body and the self and the, and the one mm-hmm. person. I always took Rover to be a kind of a white... Uh, you know, you know, like in a Fantastic Voyage, where Donald Pleasance gets gets killed by the yeah. corpuscle. Yeah. I always assumed it to be something sort of, some sort of antibody type thing. Because okay. it does just... appear to be live, because it's launched mm. from below the sea when they launch it. Yeah. It comes up almost like it's attached and living mm. below yeah. the water. Comes up, and initially you think the idea of a giant weather balloon. Yeah. What is less terrifying? I've got a pig. But it's really creepy. But but it's <laughs> creepy. I think especially because a lot of the time it always comes up to people. It doesn't necessarily kill them, but it comes up and suffocates them. Yeah. You see their so face they're... come through the. Sort of and in the village, plastic. when Rover goes to the village, everybody will often just Stop. stand very still. And that's another thing as well, because, because again, this is t- ties in about the surrealist nature of it, the fact that these people aren't real. I mean, my, my view of it is mm. all these people aren't real, because, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean the actual, in terms of the actual what the story is, in the making of it, they had to stop, because the way that they filmed Rover, they had to reverse the film. Yeah. So it was a case where everybody just had to stop, because otherwise they'd be walking mm-hmm. backwards. So... 
that's the technical term. <laughs> yeah. In reality, what that does, it just makes the villagers seem more unreal. It works right? in dramatic terms yeah. as uh, in, a byproduct. Yeah, and also, it, it does help to shed meaning on what exactly it's about. Because the moment you realise that the villagers all stop completely, and the same in Free For All, the episode mm-hmm. with the voting, where they all suddenly turn around as one and they all speak as, as one. Yeah. I mean, again, there's this unreality about the villagers. And that, once, you, once you get the, the angle on that, yeah. that kind of then says, well, you can then discount it as being So it feels about, like they're all in on it. Yeah. And the only person who doesn't know what the score is is number six. That's right. Yeah. Because a lot of time in the village he's trying to find out. You know that number two is trying to break him each week and find mm. out why did he resign. So you never and see number one during no, the No, number the one is always in the background, will mm-hmm. phone number two, depending who's playing number two, sometimes very calm, sometimes they're very stressed when they talk to number one on the phone because they're a little bit freaked out because he is, he is the boss. And if you're not that village. familiar with the show, number two... The person who plays number two changes quite frequently from one British character actor to another. Yeah, yeah. some great, it's a great people that have been. Yeah. I mean, watching TV of that era, it's fun just to spot people that you've seen in other it's stuff. Like, it's like the Have I Got News for You guest yeah. host. Yeah, yeah. Well, just right. the beginning. You've got George Baker and Guy Dolman. George Baker, mm. known for a lot of films, a lot of television. Yeah. Guy Dolman, again, was in films like The Ip, Chris Farrell, Thunderball. He's done a lot of Of course, stuff. the peak of his career was being in Full Circle. <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> there you go. See, there are Doctor Who links here, which, <laughs> yeah. which we which we will fit. Actually, a quick Doctor Who link for Mark. Which Doctor Who story was filmed in Port Merion? Oh yes, that was the Mask of Mandragora. Ten out of ten. Or as I called Can't it when I read the target that. novel, Mandragora. <laughs> or Wait. Mask, as I pronounced it when I was there. So Mask. I pronounced it wrong on two account on two uh, accounts. Mask of Mandrag- Mandragora. So, you know, it's one of those titles which, as a kid, you know, you're completely lost. But see, if, if Rover was there, he would have captured the man. man drug. I can't pronounce it. Drug <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dang, there we go. He would have captured that straight away. But then... His rulers were very good, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, Helix rulers? Oh, anyway. Oh, that's, that was rubbish. Uh, because the interesting thing is, when I first came to The Prisoner, Rover, when you watch it, mm. Rover is one of the most exciting things in it. But he's actually, when I, when I came to watch it again recently for this, he wasn't actually in it that often. No. And he's not really that important. I mean, he is just this, this thing. I think it's just because it's such a, a really astonishing image that, you know, particularly if you watch it as a young kid, yeah. that tends to stick with you. Because the roar as well, I love the roar it makes. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, the roar does make it quite menacing because everyone's mm. afraid of it, except I think later on when Liam McKern returns as number two mm. in the last couple of episodes. And in his sort of headquarter base where they've got these various big... 1960s comfy chairs that come up out of the floor mm-hmm. at one point Rover's sitting in it and I think McKern is is on the phone to number one and says something along the lines of you know no get rid of this I'm not an inmate mm. that he is naturally afraid of it yeah. it's just a tool they use but mm-hmm. you, again you never know like you say your symbolistic idea was quite mm-hmm. a good thing because you never know what it is how it operates how you can defeat it I seem to remember seeing somewhere that um, when Channel 4 showed them again initially in the early 80s they didn't show them quite in the same broadcast order as they had originally. Does that make a difference? Or are they sort of discrete stories within themselves and there's no sort of three I think they're standalone. You've certainly got to have a rival at the beginning yeah. and the last two episodes have to be Once Upon a yeah. Time and Fallout yeah. because that's a two-part story uh-huh. of the final number two saying the only way to break number mm-hmm. six is I stay with him for a week, we're totally confined and one of us will probably die at the end of it because mm. they cannot break why he resigned. Yeah. So, but the other episodes can be stand, a lot of them are standalone episodes. Some mm-hmm. of them are similar. I mean, Gouin always said that 
seven of the episodes were true to the format. Yeah. And the others stretched it a bit. But when he talked there were to... repetitions, definitely. Yeah, mm. he did talk to Lou Grade about it. Lou Grade said, well, I want 26 because that's easier for American syndication. Yeah, well, he originally came up with a seven-episode mm. arc, if you like. Or seven story episodes plan, of what yeah. they were going to be. And they, he said, this is what I want. Grade said, no, we need 26. Mm-hmm. They compromised on 17. Yeah. And the problem with Magoo and I find is, I think he's a great actor, but over the years... He didn't often talk about The Prisoner. Sometimes mm. when he did talk about it, he talked about it quite in depth. Yeah. And a lot of stuff he said was very, very good. A lot of the time, I think he was talking bullshit, but he was <laughs> deliberately talking bullshit because he loved the fact that people would have conflicting views. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, you know, I've started watching it 12 or 13 years old. I'm 48 now, so I've been watching it for 35 years mm. on and off. And I'm still excited about it. And I still love the fact when people come up with new things about it Peter's already said things this morning that I haven't thought about yeah. which is great what do you think wow. I know the series really well <laughs> and someone comes done. up with something yeah. Yeah. and that's what I think McGowan's done in a series that you couldn't do now that people mm. still talk about it Yeah, not like I oh, wasn't that a good episode yeah that was great mm-hmm. what does that mean um, if you had to pick out standout episodes having said that they're not there's not a, an arc as such. If you've got I, someone who's just I think watched it's easier. I think it's Arrival. Easier. I think it's easier to talk about the ones that you can sort of say, well, when it starts to get a little bit, don't need to see this, or it mm. gets a bit repetitive. I mean, there are a few. I mean, for me, the, the episodes, there's 17 in total, and I think it's episode 11 through 15, mm. where it starts to get... Feels or, like in fact, all of, those, all of those are ideas. For instance, there, there's the one um, where... What's that one I was trying to think of? Living in Harmony, the Western one, which mm. um, I personally don't... I, it's Wasn't that just because he'd always wanted to make a Western? Yeah, essentially. <laughs> but also, it's the very same idea to do with mind control mm-hmm. that, that, that we saw in ABC with, with, the, with, the, uh, with the three spies that try mm-hmm. and get the information out of him. Yeah. So it's a variation on the whole mind control thing. Uh, you know, they're brainwashing, transplanting to another reality, which we'd already seen before. It's just a longer version of that. And we're supposed to go at the end of Living in Harmony. Oh, that's clever, but we mm-hmm. kind of have seen it before. So So what you're trying to say is those four episodes are effectively, for Doctor Who fans, the same as the <coughs> episode in Planet Spiders where it's just a massive chase that doesn't actually go anywhere and doesn't progress the story. Yeah, and also as well, they're very messy. I mean, for me, the mess- there was one episode in particular mm. which which was really messy, which is It's Your Funeral, mm-hmm. which is the one... I love Darren Nesbitt. Yeah, fantastic. He's, he's one of my really, favorite. Really two. good actor. Really he's good, yeah. one of my favorite. Yeah. I thought he's actually fantastic. But the actual story itself, I was trying to. Wa- I was watching. I think you know what? This does not make sense even in terms of its own logicalness. <laughs> <laughs> because the, whole, the the plot about this is that basically number two and his aide Mark Eden, who Marco Polo fans from. Ah, yeah. It's just seeing them on the screen. I thought, oh, oh it's you two guys. He's also the guy on Coronation Street who got shoved under a tram. That's right. Yeah. But 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 but, but the actual <laughs> but the actual story of that is a very confused one because it's trying to set up an assassination plot mm-hmm. to draw in number two for some reason which doesn't quite make sense, and then towards the end of it, I'm watching it uh, uh, and then number and then right at the very end number six manages to somehow stop the assassination, but then number then Darren Nesbitt might get assassinated. Mm-hmm. And it's a very confused piece of writing because I'm watching, I'm not quite understanding what exactly it's saying. I mean, I can, I can understand the whole thing as a prisoner mm-hmm. when it comes to some individual plot things. And that's the key one for me, the, the, key, the key episode, which does not make sense, mm. even in what it's trying to do with number six and to draw the information out, what the yeah. actual plan is. That's very hurried, that one. I thought for Fallout, me. the last episode that explains everything was the one that didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I, was more, I was happier with that, believe it or not, than I was with It's Your Funeral, yeah. which mm. I think was, a, yeah. which was just, it, as, as, a, as a self-contained piece of drama, yeah. Yeah. was a, was diabolical yeah I agree on the repetitiveness of the episodes that mm. you do get and that's why he only wanted so few yeah. but I found the only one I thought was weak 
was the last one, Fallout. Mm. Um, I enjoy all the episodes and take them for what they are, even mm. though they're repetitive. But any, it's odd because a long running series like like anything like Doctor Who or whatever that's been on for years will be, become repetitive by nature. Yeah, mm. this was a much shorter series and it still became that. I mean, some mm. series in the sixties were two episodes on; it was the same as the episode that had gone two weeks ago. They're repetitive. I, I just found I think with. Although he does repeat ideas, I still like the way they're done. Mm. But I do get the point that at the end you go, hang on, haven't we seen this one? Yeah. Didn't he do this so many weeks ago? Haven't we seen this idea And, and also the earlier ones tend to be... I mean, this is part of the fact that the, 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 that the original seven mm. were to the point, if you like. Yeah. And they tended to be the, the earlier ones. They mm. tend to be more focused and a lot more like free for all the, you know, the, the, the idea of democracy and, and all that. Uh, they tend to be more focused. By the time we get to the end, the variations on the theme, and they're just having fun with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think another episode as well was the one with um, what was it? Uh, the girl who was death, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fun. I, I did actually enjoy that one. Yeah. Uh, but but really, the fact it turns out to be a story for the kids at the end, that for me yeah. was a bit sort of. And again, the whole the whole point of that from number two's point of view is, well, he may have revealed something during the telling of that story. Which again, it's a bit tenuous. It's a bit yeah. sort of yeah. Oh, we'll I, suddenly I, hook it into a reason now at the end. We got five minutes to go. Yeah. Let's wrap this I, up. I love I love the end with him turning and saying to the camera, "Good night, children, everywhere." Yeah. To number two, like a dig at him, and I, I love the idea. I think if they'd have just left it as him telling, filling his time in the mm-hmm. village by telling stories to children, mm-hmm. that would have been fine. Putting the fact that number two thought you would, you know, might reveal something. That way was yeah, like you say, that was that was a bit tenuous. What I would like to see the series do, I mean, for me, the series divides into two halves. There's the first half, which tends to be a lot stronger, and the second half, which is a bit more whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, what, I, what what kind of it hinted at for me in the second half was the idea of number six turning the tables on number two a lot more and playing games with them a lot more. Yeah, and I love that episode with Patrick Gargill where he's he's doing all these weird things just to confuse the hell out of him <laughs> and uh, just breaking him. And I would yeah. like to see more of that. I mean, for me, the episode Once Upon a Time, which I think is really rubbish, that for me is the, the, the truly dull episode I know people like it it's Leo mm. McCurran trapped in a room with Patrick McCurran <laughs> for, for me that was really I, I could see there was it could potentially have been wonderful but it just it just that was very repetitive within the same episode mm. I think the Hammer into Anvil episode is one of my favourites yeah. 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 because basically at the, at the beginning a girl is in the, the hospital in the village she commits suicide because of putting under pressure by number two uh, number six witnesses this and wants to get his own back on mm-hmm. number two. So keeps doing various things to drive number two crazy by thinking there's this conspiracy theory going on, which there isn't. But mm. Patrick Cargill, who later on did very light 70s comedy, like mm. Father, Dear Father, is excellent as number two. Yeah. He is so... another Again, another great character mm. who, who, in that role, I wouldn't have imagined. And, you know, he really is good. I find, once upon a time, I quite like that Neil McKern. The issue I find is he's got this... Well, McGowan's got this... These are the seven episodes. And this is where I'm disagreeing with Patrick McGowan. God, I shouldn't do that. Where he, <laughs> he wrote the damn thing. But he's saying there were seven episodes that were structured and he said, you can't write a series like this at the beginning and not know how it ends. I feel in Fallout, whereas at the end, number one is revealed when they pull the mask off to be number six. It's number six's alter ego mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But I think, I think McGowan is, is lying. I think he wrote himself into a corner. Mm-hmm. And did not know how to end it. I love the end that they escape from the village, they go back to London, and the very end shot yes. is Patrick McGowan driving his Lotus car towards the camera, which is mm-hmm. the same as the very first opening shot. So effectively saying, 
you're going to end up in the village. Mm, we so all live in the village. It's and so the said, yeah. that's it, we all live in the village. We're trapped. Whether yeah. it's that we have to eat or drink, mm. we all live in the village. We he makes a point of saying that the, the thing that sums it up for him, the fact that he, the prisoner never really escapes, is when the butler goes to walk into his house in London, the door opens automatically, like all the doors do yeah. in the village. Yeah. Don't you never escape, you know? And also the fact is that it's 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 a bit silly. There's an episode of How Many Happy Returns where the prisoner's allowed to escape. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know he's allowed to escape. It's his birthday. And there's right. a lady living in his house that he goes and talks to and borrows mm-hmm. the car and things. And she turns out to be the new number two. Right. But if you look at his door, the number on his door is number one. Mm-hmm. That's his house number. Right. So another clue that it's actually that, uh-huh. he, is, that he is number one. But I, I, don't know, I like the alter ego idea. And I like the fact, yes, we do live in the mm. village that we don't live in a democracy we're not free I think all that idea behind it is and, great and he never sees number one because if, if you go again with the idea as I do that, that it's basically variations of his personality within the village mm-hmm. it's just it's just it's, it's all the fragments of his mind in one village in one yeah. place in one idyllic place I mean even the thing about resignation just to go off the fact that why did you resign I mean, the word resignation can also mean you resign yourself to society which is mm-hmm. my own first, I've never read that anywhere that's my own unique theory there <laughs> yeah. like the idea of resignation why did you resign why did you give up why did you fall in almost I mean that's what resignation means it doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean resignation in terms of a job it can also mean why did you you know accept everything and, and why did you mm-hmm. fall back and why did you go oh this is it then I'm going to shop in Tesco's and, and <laughs> watch soap operas that that's that, that so the word resignation has dual meaning which mm. I think is really mm. deep when you look at it like that again it kind of that's that's what makes it a very simple story in effect because you can do anything then it can go as mad as box of rabbits because because it, it can because you're dealing with one core idea which deals in madness and it deals with surrealism so I think once you look at it from that point of view the prisoner is a very simple idea he says <laughs> I love that I love after all these years having yeah. someone say this prisoner is a simple idea it that's is. great it because is. it is a one, it's a totally entertaining series when I first watched it as a kid I appreciate it because I like James Bond mm-hmm. it was a spy story to me and it was adventure and I loved the adventure of him trying to escape, and it was a bit annoying he didn't get out every week, but I still would I mean, watch it again. On a surface level, as a kid watching it, it was just incredible to watch. You know, you had the whole thing with Rover, you had Port Marion, which itself is a really interesting kind of locale to have the, the, the series based. When did you guys watch it? Because when did you... I first watched it when I was 24, so I was kind of old. Yeah. When you guys watched it, were the episodes like Free For All, which were obviously very political and very sort of full of meaning, were those episodes that you found a bit boring and it was the ones where it was to do with the escape that were more exciting? Or did you, how did you engage with the more boring parts of the prison? I've only got vague memories as a kid watching because I was only about 10 when I watched it. Um, but yeah, I think that probably would have been my... My kind of reasoning, you know, I would have been wanting all the action because yeah, obviously I, I, the, the subtext watched, yeah. would have been lost yeah. on me. Yeah, so I like the idea of him being broken because at that time, and I was quite young, so I was about 13, I'd been reading the Bond books, and in that Bond is often in the books, unlike the films, tortured pretty often. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was almost a similar thing, but with his mind trying to make him crack and go crazy mm-hmm. or whatever that I thought at the time. I thought they're just trying to drive him mad because yeah. I didn't understand the whole big concept of it mm. and I like that I did like the adventure stuff that was good but I liked I said, I just, what I like the variety as well that every time you had a new actor playing number two was trying to break him so you got someone new each time and it's quite yeah. exciting you got a new person in the part it mm-hmm. wasn't like one villain that carried yeah. on like a Moriarty or something mm-hmm. like that it was someone each time was different 
And that was quite exciting. You should know what they're going to be like, how they'd react to the prisoner, what would they do this time. And that was it. It was always that not knowing that I, even as a kid, I really liked. So, oh, who's this? Oh, they're different to last week. And after a few, you <laughs> catch on that they're always going to be different. Yeah. And I thought that was that was a, you know, a very exciting. Although it was good to see, to see people, a couple of actors came back, Liam McKern. Colin and Gordon. Not, Colin Gordon, thank you. So there you go. I can't remember his name. He can. He's another... <laughs> Yeah, he was in the general, wasn't he? He's a good, yeah. another British character actor. Yeah, it's full of it, and all the actors who played number two. Yeah. There were so many good actors playing the role, and that helped the casting of it mm. was good and made it stronger. And but I think for me, once upon a time, it's where it pushes. I mean, Liam McGuinn's a great actor, Patrick mm. McGuinn's a great actor, but because the script was so repetitive and it was so one note, it was forty-five minutes of the same and even though, even though they're great actors you're watching for the actors rather than because yeah. it's telling you mm-hmm. stuff so that's that, that's where for me Once Upon a Time is yeah I can, I can say that those batch of four or five that I mentioned earlier on where the series started to go off the rails a bit and it became a bit more filler but for me Once Upon a Time was the one which I just found it was incredibly I don't know I wish it, I wish it had gone further mm. I wish it had been more surreal I wish it had been more dramatically tight I think it should have been really engaging you know it, should, it wasn't in, I don't think it worked for I mean, it's me it's got a reputation so. of being this real groundbreaking series do you think because we're all three of us are into sort of 60s TV yeah. do you feel it's sort of elevated above some of the other series that were around at the time or do you feel that's perhaps looking back behind tight and no, I think it was better because we're still. I know we still talk about series in the sixties, a lot of series from the sixties. And I can, if you take ITC, mm-hmm. the company that did it, they yeah. that okay around that era and later on, they did things like Jason King and mm-hmm. Strange Report, The Persuaders, Round on Hot Kirk, The Seas, The Champions. Yeah. They did all these series which were good and fun and entertaining and light, and they're not meant to be anything more. Mm-hmm. And you went away and didn't think about them. But what he was doing because of the freedom Lou Grade gave him was quite radical. The other series weren't dumbed down in any way. They no. were just what was on TV. People don't want to go home and think. They want to go home and be entertained and yeah. enjoy something after a hard day. Turn the TV on. There weren't 50 channels back then. There was a couple of channels and that was it. Mm-hmm. So what he was doing, I think, at the time was was really way ahead of its yeah, time. Yeah, I think going back to what Peter said initially, um, the whole thing about TV by committee that happens these days. Um, and you said you couldn't see a programme like The Prisoner being made... Mm in the same way again I think that's true I think um, McGowan himself said that he had a very specific idea of what he wanted and he knew it wasn't going to appeal to a mass audience but the audience that did find it would appreciate it and would really get it he wasn't no, I say he wasn't predicting the future but some of the things mm. there the committees in the village and the mm-hmm. council and things that they yeah. had to go through he was sort of against that uh, I, mean, but, I mean, for me, I, I think it's the the, the the continuation, the natural successor to 1984, mm-hmm. which when you see 1984, it's obviously bad because everything's yeah. grey and grotty and there's obviously cameras in people's homes and it's very in your face bad. Yeah. But what the prisoner does is it, is it sort of says, which is what I agree with, is it, doing it in a, a nice way. Of niceness, yeah. yeah, and so you think, well, actually, it's not that bad, is it? Everyone's mm. cosy, everyone's yeah. clean, everyone's got... Mini Mokes, everyone's got beaches. <laughs> Who wouldn't want a Mini Moke? Yeah. And they do nice announcements. Fernanda Fielding does the voice of the yeah. announcements in mm-hmm. the village to tell you what the weather's going to be. It's not sure about the practicalities 1984. of those bicycles, though. I mean, the ones they have on their little badges, I couldn't be... Well, the reason behind that was yeah. because he wanted to have something that showed progress, but also antiquity, mm-hmm. I suppose, and the, and the you, idea of yeah. progression. And, and yes. He said that these days you've got progress. We've got this high-tech equipment, even back in the 60s, all these mm-hmm. cars and things. He said, but you're stuck in a traffic jam. What do you do? You cycle past them on a penny farthing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he but, starts out in quite a sort of smart, sort of natty suit, and then he ends up in the sort of traditional blazer with the old white trim around the outside, which is kind of iconic in its own way. But again, I suppose it's another way of 
giving up your uniqueness. You're just a number yeah. within the system. Although he did remove his badge quite often that said number yeah, six. He yeah. didn't. He, all the others would wear theirs. He would often mm-hmm. not wear theirs. Now, I haven't spoken to you two about this, so I'm not sure whether this is relevant or not, but have either of you seen the remake that was made was for ITV? Yes, I, I haven't. I, I, I saw know. the first episode of it, mm. and I don't know what your thoughts on it but, 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 but basically I thought it, it, was, it was that awkward thing of an America again, like, like with Doctor Who America, I suppose, where, where it tries to do surreal, it tries to do ex- eccentricity, but doesn't quite know how far it can go. Mm. So there's, there's a wonderful bit in it with the map, where it opens out and it's massive or whatever, and it's I can't remember the exact details of the American version, but there was a one surreal moment with the map in mm-hmm. the in the sh- thing, but the rest of it was so standard. It by was the numbers. By the numbers. But yeah, it was so sort of very functional and very ordinary and not well, great. It was quite, it's kind of predictable. Mm. Yeah, I found it difficult because I wasn't going to see it, and then I thought Ian McKellen's in it. Yeah, I'll watch it. He's a good actor. He's not going to accept rubbish. I, I thought it didn't dumb it down. No. It, at least it didn't it make tried. it simplistic in the second episode, let's explain everything that's going on. And it was surreal as much as it could be, and obviously they had to get a different look for the village and try and move away. Mm. But have, I, I watched it and got to the end and thought, yes, it's there, but it's pointless. Mm. It's like, why bother remaking it? And I've never seen it since. I watched it once. It's like there's a... How many gun- episodes were there? I'm not sure. And did they, did they all do all the, the plots, or did they just take the, the main? No, no, they took or... little ideas from it and things like that, and had their own plots mm. and things going. But again, if you've never seen The Prisoner, you might yeah. enjoy it as an offbeat sort of series like yeah. Wild Palms that the Americans did years ago. Just, just something offbeat and a bit different. I think the only thing that the, 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 that the American version did really well was the the, um, the desert surroundings mm. made more sense because the because because with The Prisoner you get that sense of. Why doesn't he go over the mountains? Why doesn't he? And it, it, but that, but it kind of explores that more obviously in the American version, which yeah. so it made sense of its isolation, which mm-hmm. I felt it was more isolated somehow. So I thought it got that bit right, but that was the only bit <laughs> yeah. out of so much. Yeah, you know. because the village, him escaping from the village in the series is is you know different. You've got okay, you've got the fear of Rover, who supposedly will stop anyone escaping. Otherwise, you've got the mountains. Mm-hmm. I always found it amusing having um, been to Port Marion. That they do edit very well, and there's a lovely mm. bit in Arrival, the opening episode, where number two takes number six up in a helicopter yeah. to tour in the village. I mean, <laughs> you don't need a <laughs> helicopter. You know, I mean, the hospital, or what is the hospital in the village, yeah. is slightly outside the Port Marion village itself, but you can walk there in like two minutes. Mm-hmm. And the village is very small, but they edit it very well to make the village look on, much on bigger the than the it really is. Of Mandragora, Doctor Who DVD, they mm-hmm. have like a featurette about the locations used in Doctor yeah. Who and from that you can tell they really are judicious in where they position the camera because if they move it slightly to the right it's yeah. completely different and it really is a tight small area so that so how they use you know, what they do with the prisoner as well yeah. fantastic because yeah as you said you know it's all it's not that big and yeah. it's not yeah. that expansive in fact there is an episode of Danger Man mm-hmm. that Patrick Magoon is in where it's a, it's a village in Italy Mm. But they film it in Port Marion. Was that the one that inspired him to then? Yeah. Would well, people sort of say by going there to visit Port Marion for that idea? This was early sixties. He would have done this. It inspired mm. him years later mm. um, to write it, and that's why there's things with well, one of the the myths of this is that he is John Drake from Danger Man. Mm-hmm. And as I was saying earlier, it's almost like he was trapped in the Danger Man series. But there's all these. Um, if you bear with me for a minute, I'll waffle endlessly about links to Danger Man. We're talking about retconning here. Yeah, right? here yeah. we go. This is where you, this is where you edit severely. We've got three minutes. Go. There people who said okay, there are people who said that John Drake from Danger Man is number six in the Prisoner. 
Okay. Arguments for and against. Okay. Um, first of all, big argument for George Markstein, one of the script writers for The Prisoner, mm-hmm. says it's John Drake. Patrick okay. McGowan says it's not John Drake. So there you go. Uh, the opening sequence that you watch every week, his photograph is dropped into the resigned file. Yeah. That's a publicity picture of Patrick McGowan as John Drake in Danger Man. <laughs> um, so that means he's John Drake, or does it mean that just happens to be the picture they do? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of arguments sort that of, people say, yes, he really is John Drake, and there are things that say he's not. It's odd someone writing the series says he was, and someone else writing the series says, no, yeah. he definitely isn't. Another thing, the Girl Who Was Death episode... Mm-hmm. which is the prisoner outside the village, Yeah, he meets a fellow agent called Potter. Potter is a character from Danger Man. He's played by the same actor from Danger Man. Okay. You can then dismiss him by saying <laughs> at the end he's telling stories to children, so it's mm-hmm. a fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, of course, is if he is John Drake from Danger Man, then when he is in the village, why is he puzzled by where he is? He's been there in a Danger Man episode and he knows it's a place <laughs> in Italy. Um, I personally think he's not... John Drake from mm. Danger Man mm. um, for many reasons. Key reason is um, his accent is completely different as Danger Man to it is in The Prisoner, so I don't believe he is. But there were all, like I say, all these myths have been going for years of who is he and who, who isn't he. I mean, I mean, for me, it, it genuinely, when I read about all these theories about whether he's the same bloke, I, ultimately, I, I don't think it matters. It doesn't mm. really matter whether he is or he isn't because it's not one of those things that will alter your perception about what's going on. No. I, mean, I mean, I mean, you, you can take... I mean. If you, if you look at it, whether it, if he is, and he's obviously got a secret agent background, okay, mm-hmm. fair enough, you just take that and then you get on with it. So, it, but then if he isn't the same guy, then again... It doesn't really doesn't, affect your enjoyment of no, the program. No, because all I know is, is that he works for the government. And mm-hmm. you can put that in inverted commas. I mean, and, and, and it, it, it can mean any, absolutely anything. You know, he works for society, he works for the greater good. Once you take that meaning, mm-hmm. and you, then you just get on and enjoy the episode. For me, the whole Drake thing is, is, a, is a non-story. Yeah. It's, it's not no. really that important. And it is strange that over the years they've debated it so much and people keep coming out all these... Arguments I've just been yeah. saying about it, yeah. about he is or he isn't, and it's like it's just another series. I suppose know? it's a bonus if you do buy into the whole thing of him being that character. You've got eighty odd episodes of sort of prequels, <laughs> if you not, like. I've not seen one episode of, of Danger Man, and no. I'm not inspired at all to see it because right. for me it doesn't. I know it's another series. I know mm-hmm. it's not what the prisoner is. So for me, I've got no tone. It's going to be very. Yeah, different. I know I'm not going to yeah. watch it and think, oh, this is going to be a bit like the prisoner because mm. I know it won't. Be. No, yeah. it's not. It's a, it's an entertaining spy series yeah. from the '60s. In the vein of other ITC yeah, series mm-hmm. that were made, it, made at the time, yeah, run around. Mm-hmm. It's not something I think you'd be discussing many yeah. years later. I think it's time we finally address the elephant in the room, really. Yeah, I wish you didn't bring an elephant. Yeah, it's sorry, sorry. To do the podcast. Sorry about that. Yeah, uh, it's got to be Fallout, the final episode. I mean, Bill, <laughs> start with Bill. Bill, yeah. try and explain it and give us a, an idea of or. If you can't quite get your head around it, we'll explain where it's it. Okay, I've, se- I've seen it endless times. Well, I've seen all the series endless mm-hmm. times. And, okay, Fallout, oh, it's the second part after Once Upon a Time. Leo McKern is number two, with Patrick McGoon is number six, trapped in this room for a week. At the end, Leo McKern's character dies. Mm-hmm. In Fallout, they revive him, bring him back from the dead... As you, As you do. do. As you do, yeah. <laughs> shave him. Odd thing there, they shave him and he looks very different. I believe it was because Liam McCurm was doing other something uh, at the time. No, it was. It was what because was the reason? Once upon do you a, yeah, Once Upon a Time was filmed a year before. It was filmed at oh. very early on in the run. Okay. And when Fallout ah. was then hurriedly sorted out mm-hmm. and they had, they brought him back for it, he, by then he'd lost his 
thing so that yeah. he lost his beard. So they had to do, make the shaving scene yeah. so that then they could explain away the fact he was suddenly as bare as a baby's bottom. Yeah. Nobody they, thought of fake beard and wig, but they They do it in a subtle no. way by getting this massive great. It looks like a sort of Dalek plunger on a huge scale just shoved onto his face. It's one of those ignoble moments, isn't it? That's yeah. a McKern with a, with a big thing on his face. Well, so he comes back, but yeah. is there a reason why he comes back? Hmm. And is there a reason that they're... Well, the fact is number two is now going to meet number one and mm-hmm. find out who he is. Yeah. So he is free. He's not addressed as number six anymore. Yeah. But again, I think there are good bits in it. I think a lot of it is a bit rubbish. And I do think he wrote himself into a corner and he does, you know, go off on various tangents. But I think there's some nice bits where where McGurn's character is is going to address all the people around him. There's like this big committee and mm-hmm. they keep clapping and cheering about bits. But the moment he is given freedom and he's a free person, he starts to address them. Yeah. They clap he and shout him down. down yeah. So he's still not an individual. Mm-hmm. He's still not free. And I like that. But I yeah. don't get all this singing them bones, them, yeah, them, them dry bones. <laughs> please Peter's try and explain. explain this please explain about number 48 yeah. and what the hell that was all about. It's a lovely just, tune. A, just an aside, a side point about... Number forty-eight. Who's played by Alexis Canna? Who's who's the only person in the credits to get a box around his name for no very good reason? And then when I oh, when no, I'm, he's not free. He's not free. He's not free. There's symbolism behind but, that, Peter. But, but, but it's only because Patrick McGowan liked him a lot and thought he'd he amount to greater things. So I actually went onto Wikipedia as you do in IMDb mm-hmm. to see what he'd done, and he actually died a few years ago, I think. Oh. And, um, but he didn't do it. That, that that was the biggest thing he'd ever done. So mm-hmm. I felt because he was also the young. Gunfighter. The gunfighter, and he's actually very—he's got a very good look about him. But because most of his lines are dubbed, and the way he speaks, like probably like me, is very fast. Um, it, dramatically, <laughs> you just think, "All oh, right, that's probably helped to kill his career as well." Um, so yeah, the, the whole point about the village for me, the whole village represents his body, if you like, yeah. his his mind or his body, mm-hmm. the red, the white blood corpuscle, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and so the dem bones thing relates to the whole thing about self it's about the physical side of it and they're all singing about the body um the fact that he that it's basically what we're seeing is is patrick mcgowan's character losing his mind mm. um and fighting for his own sort of sanity i think yeah. that's how i believe it so the monkey is obviously madness it's primal rage or mm. whatever um and, and, and the fact that everyone's this thing of progress him. again yeah well yeah progress with yourself i suppose yeah uh, and the idea that, and the idea that he's being shouted down by his own psyche, his own uh, accumulation of of, of thought, mm-hmm. and, and that's how I perceive it. So he's, when he's sitting on his own throne, it's like he's like, like, like he's in command crisis. of yeah, yeah. It's, it's like he's in command of his own. Mm-hmm. He's trying to he's trying to rally the, the faculties, etc. And, and and I think that the that, that the little butler guy mm-hmm. is that small part of him that's kind of it's almost like rooting him in who he is. It's kind yeah. of like a reminder grounding in reality. Yeah, and it's also like you know a part of the body, a part of his brain that's kind of saying you know you know I'll help. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, 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 that, it's that little speck of brain that, that's still kind of on his side, if you like. <laughs> that's how I view the butler character. So for me, it, it's just one. If you see it as one big mental struggle, yeah, uh, and and all characters in the village, including number two. Are all because number two. If you think about it as well, he's number six. Number two. The higher up you go, mm. the more kind of in command it is. So you never see number one because number one is who you are cumulatively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So by him seeing who he is, um, there's number one. He's he's seeing if you like the whole. He's seeing the sort of stable thing. The, the, you know you can't see it because it, it's the, it's the thing that's imperceptible whole which you mm. cannot see because uh, yeah, everyone's made up of multi different sides and there are. All the other numbers make up this number one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's my view on it. So you're arguing that all the other characters within the story are sort of aspects of his aspects own personality. Aspects of him, yeah, yeah, I do. And that's why I think that, 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 that um, it all kind of feeds into that. The fact that the fact, the fact that all these people are, are kind of young and old, mm-hmm. that really they, they, they can't be other human normal people because mm-hmm. the, they do operate in a kind of 
surreal way. The fact they all freeze, mm-hmm. the fact that um, um, and the fact that they're all a bit weird and they say cryptic things. You know, when he's playing mm-hmm. chess with you know the, the colonels, etc., and they all come out with that we're all pawns and all that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. obvious that it's all kind of they're, they're not like us. I mean, if we were trapped in the village, they, they'd all be trying to escape. Yeah, they'd all be this kind of right. Let's just all just run. Them. <laughs> yeah, and also it's interesting that that he's placed in the village is you can look at it as a very kind of stripped down version of the self so you get like the town hall which is the command centre the brain mm-hmm. or whatever or you know the dome um, it, it, you've also got you know I, I mean it's just even the surveillance just gone to the surveillance aspect <laughs> of it for a village that's meant to be really cameras everywhere yeah. it's amazing how not everywhere is sometimes <laughs> it's a little bit out of range it is like, it, he manages to get yeah he manages to sort of manage to do things like build a raft and no one sees it and no one even guesses it and it's like they disguise that raft as a work of art which you can see from the beginning the moment <laughs> looks like a boat <laughs> and when he brings down the whole um, the sailors being number two's face I'm mm. like Gene that was a great moment but you can see it coming up yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but awesome. it's, it's funny how the surveillance aspect they do keep on losing him at convenient point, points mm-hmm. whereas if it was truly 100, you know, 360 degrees and they had everything covered he would literally be able to do nothing the plot would not be able to go anywhere at all and it would be a boring series it would be yeah. a boring series yeah. but uh, I love the moment in, the, in, the, in an episode where there's that beach hut mm-hmm. and he manages to do stuff inside with the radio yeah. and they're trying to pan the camera around and where, where can he be we've lost him and there's this massive fuck off beach hut <laughs> where it's the only place he could perhaps be. he's <laughs> gone in there yeah but, but it's almost like they scan it and yeah. they can't see it and there's a wonderful moment where I just think do you know, any right thinking person would yeah. go do you know what let's just <laughs> yeah. look in there yeah, the, the week after they should have had someone come in and say I'm the new number two because the bloke last week did not spot the beach up to your shit well, and that's the trouble the difference between the reality and the fiction mm. you've got odd discrepancies it's very much again linking to Doctor Who that mm. you know some there's a corridor there's a corner someone stands around the corner all the guards run past and don't even flick their eye around you know it's like oh please come on it, you just suspending your disbelief but it sets itself up for it though because in a series which is meant to make you think and meant to be about meaning you therefore thinking, expect yes. it to be pretty cogent and pretty you know sensical because yeah. it sets itself up of uh, a sense you know it, yeah. it's very hard to tell what's deliberate meaning and what's just production cock up or yeah. accidental meaning I like the things that they're quite thought because there's a lot of things he put in delivery to make you think but things accidental like I didn't realise which is great I've learned another thing today from this that you were saying about the about Rover the fact that where they filmed it that's why people had to stand still mm-hmm. and I never knew that and yeah. I was like the fact there's an episode I love which is um oh what it's do oh yeah do not forsake me oh my darling where nice simple idea mm. The mind of the prisoner is put into another person's body mm-hmm. for various reasons. For no reason. Top, top idea. Well, no, there, there was, no, there, there was well, a very was key reason? reason why it happened. Because Patrick McGoon had to go away and film Ice Station Ice Zebra. Zebra. It wasn't yeah. available. That's right. So, I also wonder why... But in terms of the actual Station story... Zebra, but <laughs> I thought you were going to say they just watched The Savages on, uh, on Doctor Who and gave him the idea. No. So, I'm tr- so what was the reason there? I can't I'm remember. trying to remember. They, they do they put his mind in... Because they get him back out into the real world yeah. to get back into contact with someone um, that he was in love with right. and, w- and was going to be with. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's not total... No, because they, they were looking for... Ah, they were looking for this professor who That's had right, a theory Swedish of planting yeah. someone's mind... Mm-hmm into someone else's mind mind transference can okay. it be done mm-hmm. and they didn't know where he was and one of the few people who knew where he was was number six mm-hmm. so they released him but they released him into it was like a mission yeah. Well. Yeah, so like go, it was yeah. like an old fashioned going off yeah. assignment That's but in right, a weird yeah. psychedelic 1960s way I remember now I think the ultimate thing that really spells out that it was a, a really important series is the fact that they did a spoof of it on The Simpsons 
I've never seen that. I've oh, heard of it. It's awesome. I've seen it. Yeah. Homer gets knocked out every five minutes by uh, smoke erupting from somewhere. Um, he gets he gets into a um, phone box to make a call and starts pressing buttons and he gets gassed again. Um, <laughs> doesn't he get gassed by flamingos as well or something? I think so, yeah, I think so. He builds a raft as well. You're talking about the raft. He builds a raft. And oh. It's great. The weird thing about the prisoner though is is is, is that for a series which. He does manage to escape quite often. I mean, I mean, yeah, but a lot of the time he's he's let he's let let to escape on his birthday, isn't he? Mm. He's let to escape in the Chinese of Big Ben to mm. think that he has escaped back to London. So if he thinks he's at home, he'll he will reveal yeah. something about his resignation. Mm. That's also the odd thing about the realism of the series and the surrealism of the series, mm. where you've got the fact that where is the village? Yeah. Well, various reasons throughout the series, people always went, well, that's daft, it can't be there. Because at one mm. point it was like, it's, off, it's somewhere in Lithuania, mm. another time it's off the coast of Morocco, North Africa. The final episode, Fallout, they drive down, down the road, road on it? a lorry, <laughs> yeah. and it's on this A road, 30 odd or 20 odd miles from London. I must admit, the yeah. bit, that's another bit in the last episode, thinking of a tangent, something I really like, is, is what's, the, what's it, Alexis Can? Yeah. yeah, yeah, Alexis Cannon. Wandering Alexis across Cannon. the motorway. Great, as you what do. I love, a nice thing about freedom, whether it was deliberate, was mm-hmm. he's crossing. Okay, these days you cannot walk across the motorway. No. If anyone's listening, don't do it. But in the 60s, there weren't many cars. But he, he gets off, waves goodbye in a nice way to the prisoner and number two go off, and he's thumbing a lift on mm. the motorway. And after a while, he can't seem to get a lift. So he crosses the road and thumbs a lift in completely the opposite direction. So yeah. I think that's saying something really good about. I'm free. I'm yeah. free to do what I And now you're being trapped to. in a box going along a road so you can travel places but you're still in the box. Mm-hmm. You, you can apply meaning to anything. I think, yeah, you know it's, this is the thing. Everybody will read something into mm-hmm. it and I like... I, like, I hope yeah, there, there was more to it. McGowan only knows, and he's died now, what it means to him. And how much it? of it was deliberate and how much is just random because there's also that element as well of... Again, because the last episode was written, quite, I think he had a week or two to write it yeah. and he knew he had to finish it and he knew kind of... I, I think as well, from what I can remember... He didn't quite know who number one was going to be, but it just felt natural that it would be that. I mean, for me, that was actually quite an obvious. That, but that's why I thought the end seemed rushed, seemed written as yourself into a corner, not planned, as he sometimes says it was planned. Mm-hmm. That you don't know Magoon which bit of truth he's like. Well, like yeah. in a village, you yeah. don't know who's telling the truth, and I think that that's great. I, and I hope there was a lot of thought behind it. There's a playwright, Eugene Ionesco, who wrote nonsense plays, mm. and People wrote loads of books about it and things. Uh, and many years ago, I read an interview with Nesco. He was quite an old guy then. Mm. And they talked about the bold prima donna and plays he'd done. And people have read all this into it. Yeah. And he actually said, no, it's bollocks. It's nonsense. <laughs> I just wrote nonsense. And all the things that people have spent years reading into it were what they thought. And he said, that's yeah. nice if they think that. But yeah. I had nothing behind it at all. It was just good fun. It's like mm-hmm. progressive rock, which yeah. gets... Which gets slated for being... Oh, uh, slipping uh, Jethro Tull. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like... Jethro Tull podcast. <laughs> but, um, oh, I love Jethro Tull. But the, yeah. thing, the, but, but, but the thing about prog rock is that people try... In, uh, we live in a world where we like to understand everything in a glib two-sentence way. Mm-hmm. So we can all go, well, that's what that's about. And we yeah. can say it quite glibly, quite cleanly. Everyone goes, oh, well, that's what that's about. That's the watch mm-hmm. anymore. Or don't have to think too hard about it. Whereas with prog rock, I, th- I think you have to listen to each line and each verse and then take it on its own terms and then just divorce it from the rest of it because the rest of it is going to just confuse the issue and not mm. even tie up. It's all just random. I think it's almost like The Prisoner as well, I think. I mean, I, I personally have come to it as the, as the whole mind and body battle. It's, it's mm-hmm. one person's fight for himself. That's how I view it. But equally, I'd also see it as, uh, as a, it, it, there are moments 
So, so for instance, the bit where the very last episode where um, he's going down the end. I mean, I take that for what it is as a separate piece because mm-hmm. I appreciate it's going to be written on the hoof that yeah. no one can write something. So you have to spend years trying to make everything perfect. Mm-hmm. But because you know that it's basically a television show where he's written quite quickly and it's it's whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, that really, you know that there are going to be elements that aren't going to have the type, which might be random and accidental. And so you have to acknowledge that it, it doesn't matter. You can't study it too hard. As long as you get the general idea of yeah. what it's about... Uh, and you get the idea of what most of it is trying to do. If there are moments, again, with Doctor Who or whatever, mm-hmm. there's the occasional lapse in concentration. You accept them, or maybe some of some of it you can't tie in. Yeah. Or, or that if you do try and tie it in, it might, it might just be wishy-washy. It might be a bit desperate, you know, whatever. So you'd probably say then that one of the strengths of the programme and why it's really it's remains it's a lot so of it popular... Is crap. <laughs> I was going to say yeah, you can so take from it what you want yeah. but yeah, yeah. Oh, that's another one I think it's McGowan's thing of saying yeah. there might not be a thousand interpretations which yeah. he said but there are a lot of interpretations mm-hmm. and everyone's happy to have their own I love Peter's one about the body mm-hmm. see I was thinking just the prisoner it is you know it is just symbolistic we all live in the village mm-hmm. none of us are free but some of us like him will try which and fight against true it. As well. But that is a very simplistic thing. But yeah. I'm a very simple guy, and that is, <laughs> that is it. But certainly, I mean, I mean, I mean, that is a, a dual meaning. It's not just one meaning as well. There are mm-hmm. loads of meanings. I take the body thing, but I, but there are episodes for instance to do with democracy in um, in free for all, which is when I first watched it, I didn't quite get the importance of that until I watched it. Perhaps you know, I've seen it mm-hmm. twice in total the series, and I watched it very recently. Free for all stood out a lot more because it was about democracy. It was about the fact that. Um, everyone says the same things. Mm-hmm. Everyone says a whole crowd pleasing things. Everyone gets into and when, when you then get into power, I'm glad politics what power has moved on have? in the intervening years. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, it, but it's it's true because because when number two become uh, when number six becomes number two, mm. what power does he actually have? Mm. What exactly is he able to do with that? He's still trapped in a room. Yeah. he's still no better off than number two. Mm. He's still trapped in his own body, if you like, or trapped in his own mind, trapped in his own sphere, uh, his own sphere of normality in inverted commas I mean that's 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 quite an interesting episode to watch when mm-hmm. I was a kid I've got to say when I watched it when I say a kid when I was 10, 10 or 15 years ago yeah. that episode was quite dull because I didn't quite understand what it was saying mm-hmm. so I can imagine a lot of kids watching that would have watched that and think well, where's Rover going to come along <laughs> but I do think as you watch it as an app you come, if you watch it again in a few years time you'll probably think different things yeah. I used to find an episode like Living in Harmony which when I first saw saw it, it was a Western, and I didn't really like it at all. Mm. Yeah. Years later, I've come back That's to it, right. and I really like the episode. When I first watched it, that was the weakest episode. I'd hated that episode, but actually watching it now, I did think Once Upon a Time was, for me, the one which mm-hmm. which just bored me. Whereas actually Living in Harmony had moments in it, partly because the acting, Alexis Kanner is hypnotic. He's, mm. he's got a good look about him. Um, and I do think a lot of the actors as well. I mean, the, the woman who, who played... the. the I just thought that was brilliant. All yeah. women in it are fairly strong as well. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I said women in it were strong. They weren't, you know, um, like sort of, sort of Bond girls. Sort mm. of not that these days Bond girls aren't strong. And they probably have. Well, they, even they were strong in the sixties. But the ones that weren't, it's it's not like that. And and McGowan was always. So they very, weren't there as set dressing. They actually had real characters. Yeah, I mean, McGowan was very much against. So I don't know if it's Catholic upbringing or what, but against mm. uh, promiscuity, and even in episodes of Danger Man where they have relationships with women, he would say to scriptwriters, write that out. And mm. the reason he, he was offered to play James Bond before Connery, yeah. and he turned it down. Yeah. And one of the reasons was, don't like the promiscuity. Mm-hmm. Some people said, well, they sort of said, well, it, it was promiscuity and the violence, but maybe the cold blood killing, but the fights, virtually every week he's hitting someone in the prison. Yeah. There's always a fight scene, so I don't think it was that. My regret is he didn't play Bond because yeah, I, think I think he would have been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. He would have been a Timothy Dalton, Daniel Craig, 
way ahead of its time. Yeah. But if he did play Bond, there would never have been the prisoner. Mm. And I'm so glad he turned it down because, <laughs> you know, the prisoner I, is I, just such I a just, I just love his acting. I, I love the way he, he sort of, he just goes off on one. He, his voice will raise, his whole tone changes within a heartbeat. And yeah. I, just, I just love his style, I love his, his clip delivery. I his think. diction is absolutely spot on. And when he just says that, so, someone would read a, you'd read a line. When he's back, someone says, oh, it is yeah. different. It is, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you go, someone like, I can't do exactly what I'm saying. It is different. It is, isn't it? And he'll just suddenly do that. And it'll It's how the way he says, attention. pop goes the weasel. I mean, that's just mesmerising. Mm, yeah. You can watch that. And it's just the way he does it. It's fantastic. But then he'll talk to, oh, is the woman not even Charm's big bed? Where he's, he's talking to her in a very soft, romantic tone voice. But he's actually talking about escaping. Yeah. But he could, it's almost like he, he could do the sort of full rage, but his, his sort of angry young man thing is, is, is just brilliant. In the lead up to this, I've kind of had a little bit of a trawl through YouTube, and there's a, a video of him being interviewed in 1977 on Canadian TV. And uh, it comes across as quite a, an eccentric guy. I think he's quite paranoid. I mean, reading mm. interviews, and the fact, that, the fact, that, and the fact that, that a lot of his roles have been mm-hmm. very, not similar, but they've kind of touched on, I mean, Scanners, when he was in Scanners, uh-huh. and he had this um, professorial working for the government, mm-hmm. but also he's got that edge of paranoia about the whole world, the world he inhabits, Patrick yeah. and he's one of paranoia where he speaks quite openly about how he thinks that, well, we're all prisoners now, which mm. is the thrust of of the 1984 take yeah. on, on now which mm-hmm. is perfectly valid and perfectly true and it's such a good idea that yeah. I think he does obsess about it and I think mm-hmm. that's what he is I think he's a, I think he's very paranoid in a nice way Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it works to his advantage because he's got a personality which you don't often get with people no. who make stuff in. No. He's got, no, he, he's got a he does make sense about it one of the last interviews I read with him when he was interviewed uh, by somebody and they were talking obviously about lots of prisoner stuff and one of the last things they say to him you know saying are you a prisoner he says, yes, but I'm on parole. I thought, <laughs> 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 no, that's nice. He admits, yes, I am, but I'm doing my best. I thought that was a, 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 a good thing. I mean, again, very, very intelligent guy. And didn't do a lot later. I mean, he did, obviously, the 60s. He was in Braveheart, wasn't he? You know, phenomenal success role. with Danger Man. And you mm-hmm. just kept going, like Roger Moore and the Saint. It was a series yeah. that kept going and going and going. Mm-hmm. And I don't know... You know, after Prisoner, I know there was the backlash with the ending. Mm-hmm. If it had been a conventional series, I wonder he would have stayed in things because Lou Grade, you know, saw he had yeah. potential. And yeah. I think at the end of The Saints and stuff, Roger Moore was going to, you know, potentially going to do Bond. And Lou Grade just said, You can't. I've signed you up for The Persuaders. You've mm. got to do it for The Queen. <laughs> <laughs> and I wonder if, if it had been more straightforward, Lou Grade would have kept him on and said, Patrick, that was great. Yeah. I've got something else for you next yeah. and something else. Uh, but it looks like they spent a lot of money on that programme. Yeah, I mean, The Prisoner was all filmed in colour when the yeah. last series was still being filmed in black mm-hmm. and white. That was one of the things he insisted. Mm. Uh, but he did have so much... I say and, also, and also the shoot for Fallout was very expensive because it was mm. done on the hoof a bit and yeah. because characters had to make up their own lines and run with it and improvise to a point. Mm-hmm. Because of that, I, I, from what I can tell, it's the most, one of the most expensive episodes ever because it, they just let the camera roll and just... They, right. they really just did not know what they were doing. Yeah. So, I know a little trick photography shots of all the different helicopters escaping from yeah. the village. Yeah. And I'm thinking, poor Marion, you get one helicopter pad if you're lucky. <laughs> but yeah, the last day, it did seem a bigger. He did say, that's one of the things McGurn always insisted on. He said, I don't want to hear the word television mm-hmm. when they're making it. Yeah. Because television implies rushed, get on with it, do it quickly. And yeah. obviously, he'd done TV and films. Mm-hmm. He wanted it to be treated with a bit more respect and not, we're TV, we dumb it down. Mm-hmm. 
and it never was that and I'm very glad that he you know and that's why we remember The Prisoner and not, to be honest, we don't really remember Danger Man. I mean, we talk about it as a forgotten show almost because yeah. really it's only ever talked about in relation to The Prisoner. Mm -hmm. People don't, we're not talking about, we haven't come here to talk about Danger Man or no. as we wouldn't about The Saint perhaps, you know. We don't, there are certain shows which which are off their time and probably, you know, 50 years from now, Danger Man will be even more... So if ITV had had a purge back in the 60s and just deleted a load of Danger Man, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be getting excited about it. I don't think, it. to be honest, there will always be people who will love everything. Yeah. Every show will have its fans. But to be honest, the prisoner is the fact that we're talking about the prisoner says a lot more about the prisoner, and to be honest, mm. it says a lot about Danger Man as well. I mean, Danger mm. Man is very two dimensional, yeah. And it's interesting that that, that, that that really, when people were watching it, I suppose, the prisoner and they saw all these other characters who are a bit two dimensional, mm -hmm. we can see that now as being quite clever because it's they're meant to be two dimensional in the, yeah. in the conceit of the, the village. But of course, a lot of people watching it back then would have taken these characters as being. How the characters like that were written yeah. back then, so they yeah. perhaps wouldn't have seen the weirdness. Judging on the same level as all the other shows. But yeah, we see a slightly different weirdness to it in a way that people who would come from Danger Man would still mm. see these characters as, like, you know, the gentleman playing chess on the beach probably seems quite a natural character because mm. lots of characters back in the day were a bit two-dimensional. Yeah, and they would take it for what it was. These yeah. days, there would be a big write-up, or there'd be stuff mm -hmm. on the internet, Radio Times. Everyone would know be not, not the, the plot, degree. but they would know a lot about what what they're expecting from yeah. the prisoner before they tune in mm -hmm. so they can decide back then it'll be marketed as a series turn it on, yeah. it's Patrick McGurn it's a spy story yeah. I'll watch it and I think in a way that's better I think a lot of people who watched it who perhaps might yeah. these days if it was launched on TV now would read about it and go no I won't watch that mm -hmm. I think it, I'm glad it was done the way it was done I mean ITC never made a series like it afterwards years later they did things like Space 1999 and a lot mm -hmm. of other sci-fi stuff but they never did anything like The Prisoner again mm. and I think that's a shame really I, th I, think, I think the worst bit of The Prisoner every week, it always makes me go, oh, really? Is the bit where right at the very end of the episode you get you get the cutout of his face coming up with, yeah. the, with the bars cooking, yeah. uh, you know, uh, just before we get the end credit sequence. We all go to the village. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that's such a comic-y, horrible, obvious, unsubtle, just a cheap way of doing it. The way you have the, his, you know, it just suddenly cuts to this push oh, aerial shot of Port Mary and his face coming towards the camera, the bars come across it, a big clunky sound. Just that little bit makes me go... Oh, I just don't like it. It's, <laughs> aesthetically, I just think that just annoys me. We'd have to ask McGowan if that was his idea or was that one somebody I think, else I, slipped in. I think it's a reminder, probably done by TV execs, to show that it's about a guy trapped in the village. Mm. As if as if you hadn't got that up until that point. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this is the final reminder you're going to get. So you would have preferred him walking up to the camera, just looking straight in, William Hartnell style, and just going, be seeing you. A little wink to the camera and then that would be it. I don't know how I would have ended each episode. I mean, maybe something very cryptic, or just, or just, or not even look at the camera, but just maybe something weird happening that feeds into the overall image. So something a bit weird, maybe. I, I don't mm. know. I don't did, know. Did you notice that sort of saying about VCU? It cropped up years later in Babylon Five. I've um, never watched it. Walter Koenig from Star Trek plays a character in it called Bester, mm -hmm. and he says at various points, "VCU with the." the actual wave from The Prisoner, because Stravinsky right. wrote Babylon 5, was a big fan of The Prisoner, mm -hmm. and just and just slipped it in. And I can tell you a silly story, if you want to. Go on. <laughs> to do with me, and a, and, a, and a bizarre accident, I had an... Did a, you ever get trapped in a village? Let me out. Did you get I, run over by a weather boot? <laughs> <laughs> no, I had, I had an accident in work. Um, I genuinely walked into a door, really. And through various things, split my, so my, this... my head. You can't see it now. Anyone right. who's listening won't see it. Okay, so... Is this just an excuse that your wife's been beating you up? Yeah, she has, yeah. yeah. And I got this bad cut, and the they glued the cut because it was quite deep, and the Ooh. glue ran down into my eye. Ow. I couldn't open my eye properly. A&E tried to get it all out and said, go home with this, various things. I went back the next day. It was still painful. The eye doctor there got all the grit out, and it was hurting very badly. Mm. And finally, my eye was managed to open. 
The ironic thing is, that week I'd ordered a T-shirt on The Prisoner. And of all the T-shirts I could get, it was the one that said, Be Seeing You. <laughs> I'm sure your wife didn't laugh at that at all. Not at all, no. <laughs> no sympathy whatsoever. So if you have a cycling accident, and you have a T-shirt with a penny farthing on it, you're going to laugh. I do cycle to work as well, but I've managed to give that up. <laughs> Right, I'm touching wood now just so we don't jinx Bill on his way to work. Um, so apart from steeping yourselves in the world of The Prisoner, what else can you recommend for our listeners? Bill, I'll come to you first. Yeah, good. Okay, oh, because I'm off. Okay, I'm going to recommend old things first. Okay. Uh, maybe old and new, but I will be brief because I've got a couple of things I'm going to mention. 1973, 40 years ago. It was a great year. It was a great year. I watched three films recently mm-hmm. from 1973. Okay. Because when you've got a big DVD collection, sometimes you don't know what to watch. Right. So contrasting, and I won't go into detail because everyone will know these films, uh, Live and Let Die, yeah. Roger Moore's first outing of James Bond. Great fun. Really like it. Different mm-hmm. to Connery. Uh, but for anything, watching Roger Moore, or rather Ross Kananga, his stunt double, Escape from an island, surrounded by crocodiles by jumping over the back of Yeah, marvellous. Classic. Uh, Except for the comedy sheriff. Comedy sheriff, sheriff J.W. Pepper, very silly, yeah. really should have been edited but out. It kind of sets up what you're going to get from Roger Moore from then on in, really. Probably. It's, 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 it's a sign, isn't it? An mm-hmm. omen. And there's a link to that. Everything's linked here today. A uh, bit of a Bond villain in this, who even had a white cat and was stroking at one point. Also 40 years old, in Enter the Dragon. Ah, oh, classic yeah, martial arts of Bruce yeah. Lee. Yeah. Very sad to hear that um, Jim Kelly, martial arts expert who had one of the main parts, died mm, recently. Yeah, but a great film. John Saxon, lot good cast, mm-hmm. good fun, good martial arts stuff. Great Lalo Schifrin theme. Yes. Um. Yeah, and it's Very just again, again, forty years old. Good fun. Mm-hmm. And a final forty-year-old film, which doesn't blend with those two either, is Edward Woodward and Christopher Lee in The Wicker Man. Oh. oh yeah! Still stands the test of time. Christopher Lee says it's still his favourite film, and he loves it. Have you seen The Wicker Tree? Which is the I official have seen The Wicker Tree recently. Mm. I saw it. It's a waste of space. It's well, it's better it, than the Nicolas Cage Wicker. It's Man. better than the Nicolas Cage remake. But then I again. Really... Just staring at a there's blank a wall Christ- is probably better than that. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> there's a fake Christopher Lee bit in it uh, where he turned Oh, yeah, very, very obviously CGI'd in. Yeah. It's just one of those things they shouldn't have even bothered with. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they did it. It's not really a sequel or follow-on. It's just a different telling yeah. of the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it was disappointing, really, after The Wicker Man. They are looking at the moment as well. Um, I know a lot of bits of The Wicker Man have been put back into the film on the mm-hmm. DVD, so you can see the different bits. Mm-hmm. Lee's been upset about it for years. Some of it went into landfill for the M25, but they're mm. doing a worldwide sort of appeal. If anyone's got any old footage, mm-hmm. not Doctor Who, because we've got plenty of that. No, we haven't. <laughs> <laughs> old, any old footage yeah. from um, The Wicker Man that anyone finds, they're asking for people to say, please return it in any condition, mm. and we'll see if we can find the missing, uh, the missing scenes. I thought they had them all. They, 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 better quality, obviously, but yeah, they, 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 they have them already. No, they, they they have got some back over the years and got them in, but there's still more footage oh, missing that Christopher Lee knows exists and other people know exists. So they're just trying to appeal. Chances of finding it might be small, but um, it just takes a, one, doesn't it? Again, it's a great film of its day. It's it's very you know very very well mm. done. Very Peter, you've been story. enjoying Fury from the Deep, haven't you? Oh yes. Are you going to link me into the um, my entry for you and who? Oh no! I thought you just turned it up somewhere in a, in a, in a oh, oh, garage keep, sale somewhere. I keep all those secrets from their member. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, yeah, talking about um, I suppose 
recommendations. I just mm. talk about stuff I've seen recently or heard recently. Yeah. Um, I watched. I got round to watching Hot Fuzz. Yes. Which is a delayed reaction because that's been out for donkeys. Well, you've not seen it before. No, I, I bought it ages ago. Right. Um, but t- I was, was in the mood for it and then oh. stopped it after a bit. And to be honest, I do think it's not very good. I love Shaun of the Dead. Oh, Shaun. I love Sh- Simon Pegg, Nick Frost. But for me, Hot Fuzz just doesn't quite work. And it doesn't quite work as the trilogy, because which is meant to be very mm-hmm. horrific in that. Mm-hmm. I, I, for me, I, I don't think it works as... Oh, it's great to see character actors. James Bond as a supermarket manager. Yeah, awesome. come on, Timothy Dalton. Oh, yeah. There are elements of it that are very, yeah. very good. But as a whole, it, it's kind of, kind of underwhelmed by it. I know that it's, it's good to say. It's Swan at the start is pretty you, impressive. Yeah. Are you guys big Shaun of the Dead? Because I've seen Hot Fuzz a few times. Yeah. It's very funny. I've seen mm-hmm. Shaun of the Dead once, thought it yeah. was an average, mediocre comedy that... For oh. them, it was probably entertaining and funny to make, but watching it, I thought it wasn't bad, it was okay. That's the complete inverse to me then, because mm-hmm. that's how I feel about Hot Fuzz. I can imagine that it was fun to make, yeah. and, and they had bigger budget and all this mm-hmm. business, but for me, Shaun of the Dead was really very good. Yeah. We have the so, same opinion, just about yeah, different films. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did, I, did it, I did it because um, World's End is coming mm-hmm. up, and I might get around to seeing that one, yeah. and I'm tempted. I, it, uh, that, that, for me, would be more like Shaun of the Dead than mm-hmm. it would be Hot Fuzz, so yeah. I'm kind of you know interested in that, seeing that mm-hmm. but, yeah, uh, radio-wise, I can, remember, I can recommend a brilliant show. Nick Frost is in this as well. Oh, right. called The Sofa of Time. Cool. It was on BBC Four Extra, BBC Seven, mm-hmm. however you choose to call it these days. It'll Tuesday probably be on a rotation. So it's probably... on, you'll catch it at some point. Yeah. I'm sure you can find it anywhere. But um, but yeah, Sofa of Time, six episodes. And if you're listening outside of the UK, uh, I think I'm right in saying you can actually listen to BBC radio programmes through iPlayer, whereas you can't always get TV programmes. I'm not sure. I'm mm, li- living yeah. here, I would have no. no yeah, no, I think that, I'm pretty certain yeah. of that. So yeah, if you're in, if you like BBC radio stuff, yeah. and it's you're called yeah, it's called the Sofa of Time. Mm-hmm. It, it's a comedy. It's it's about two people who get sucked into another dimension. Mark mm-hmm. Heap is in it. Oh, Fantastic. Yeah. One of his best ever. Some of the delivery we talk about delivery of Matt McGowan. Mark Heap is one of those people like Kevin Eldon who sometimes will say something in such a way that you think, mm-hmm. my God, if I was a kid, you know, on the playground and I just been exposed to that kind of stuff. I'd be saying his lines, <laughs> you know, in, in, in a like-for-like way. But there's lots of moments like that. It's a fantastic little show. It's very, it's weird, but once you get into it, you think... I mean, they're never going to make any more of it. It's about ten years old, this mm-hmm. show. It's almost ten years old, I suspect. But because... Well, they've because, got a connection together from being in space, haven't they? So. That, well, yeah. It was Nick Frost and there's a main lead and someone else. The guy who played... The guy who plays um, Superhands in, in Peep Show, I forget his name. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know the guy you mean, but I don't know his but, name. But, but, but because he co-wrote it, he went to live in Australia. That's mm-hmm. why there's only one series of this. Right, okay. And it's a fantastic six episodes. I mean, if, if you'd like... I mean, there's some Elven Quest, which is which is a Radio 4 pastiche of Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which is very hit and miss, even though Kevin Elden's brilliant in it. Yeah. It's not a very good show at all, I don't think. But Sofa of Time is, nails it perfectly in this mm-hmm. kind of otherworldly sci-fi uh, fantasy pastiche thing works brilliant so I'd recommend that mm-hmm. and I can listen to those again on the loop what else have I been exposing myself to <laughs> well um, you mentioned you and who just now I think we should oh, give a little mention that. to that yeah I scribbled some words and things for yeah. J.R. Southall Mr. J.R. Southall Starburst Magazine's J.R. Southall that's how we have to we refer have to, to call him at now. all times yeah. Esquire yeah. I mean yes. J.R. is sponsored by he <laughs> is Starburst Magazine <laughs> whereas we're sponsored by CSO the cult fanzine well, CSO Cult Fanzine had a very good article on the tripods recently. Ah, yes. Written by... Written, written by... Written by... Written by. <laughs> I don't need to... Jonathan Wasper in here. <laughs> or that guy from the Big Bang Theory. Um, yeah, <laughs> written by... Get your diction rubber. Uh, Will Hadcroft. Uh, ah. He wrote a good article on the tripods in the CSO magazine, mm-hmm. which is a great magazine. And it also mentioned a book he'd written called The Blueprint, 
uh-huh. which I read recently. It's a teenage book, but mm-hmm. adults like myself can read it. Yeah. And it's about a boy in the school, gets knocked out, wakes up. Almost everything is in black and white. Mm-hmm. His school is somewhere they can no longer leave. There seems to be no outside world. And it's a very good story, very entertaining. Appreciate it is written for teenagers. Mm-hmm. So it isn't overly complex, but it doesn't dumb itself down either. And it's even linked to the podcast because Will Hadcroft says in uh, write up in the book that he's very influenced by The Prisoner, which right. is a series he thoroughly enjoyed. So you can see Prisoner influences in the story, mm-hmm. but it's a nice standalone story. It's not a copy of a Prisoner or anything. But mm-hmm. yeah, I say the the blueprint is uh, yeah very entertaining. Yeah. And, and again, what I was going to what, what I was saying about 1984, which it's influenced so much mm-hmm. as well. I mean, The Prisoner will be a port of call for many people mm-hmm. because it's just got like 1984 it's got so many it's obviously got the catchphrase it's got all the yeah. icon, iconography throughout mm-hmm. it but because it, it's it's about I mean it, it, a lot of cult te- television is about who we are yeah. it explores the self it explores our relationship with the world and and so yeah the prisoner really is it's, it will live on because it's just if you're going to write anything to do with paranoia or mm-hmm. anything to do with being controlled by other people and governments and democracy and, and freedom and you know you can't go there you can't do that mm-hmm. It's always going to be a talking point. Yeah, and the prisoner said a it, lot. It naturally, it is written for us, isn't mm-hmm. it? Really, it said a lot in its time. <laughs> for now, you're prisoners. You're not leaving. Yeah, <laughs> and in the prisoner, they had cordless phones in the village before wow. they happened in real life. Wow. Now that is a prediction and a half. Well, my recommendations certainly. You and who, published by Milk Publishing. Um, there's two volumes that have come out very recently. It's called Contact Has Been Made. It's got a prawn on the front. It's got a prawn on the front with electricity zapping out of its eyes, yeah. uh, which is very cool. Um, so it, there's two volumes. Myself and Peter have both contributed. Yeah, what did you write, Mark? Uh, well, I did something Sell about, it. C- Sell it now. about City of Death, which is not the best one in the book, but I think there's a very good one about Fury from the Deep, I seem to remember. Yeah, that's readable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by Mr P Weber. Well, the, the weird thing is, I don't know if anybody's ever... Well, some people listening to this might have contributed to, mm. to that particular tome. But you gave him 1,000 words, mm-hmm. and I kept to that 1,000 words, although I could have whittled on for bloody hours. Which um, is unlike you. It's unlike me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not so restrained and succinct. But, <laughs> but, but yes, 1,000 words to write about... Well, I suppose it's a way to write about Doctor Who. Mm. It's about your connection write, with Doctor about Who. About your connection, yeah. about the emotional and, and yeah. what you get from it and what it is to you. Mm-hmm. And to try and encapsulate in 1,000 words doesn't <laughs> sound a lot, but I think most people make a really bloody good stab in it. I've read quite yeah. a few of the essays. And there's mm-hmm. loads of the Weird in Space one about mm-hmm. a guy who watches it with his three-year-old kid. It's wonderful yeah. because it's, it's just that extra take on it, mm-hmm. you know. And um, there's lots of good essays in there where people write about what it's like to to, 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 to sort of connect with the show at some point in their lives. And and other previous guests that have been on the show, the likes of Sam Hemming and Josh Zimer, they're in it as well. Yeah. So it's uh, I really enjoyed doing it. Although, Sucky's in there as well. Oh, uh, Sucky Kark, yes. The legend that is Sucky Kark. He's yeah. done three, I think. Some people got to write more than one. Yeah, well, I struggled to get one and I was vaguely happy with it by the end, but it's just nice to you know see... I Something just you've done in print. Burst with it basically because when you because luckily for me my angle was that again talk about the radio. Radio is so important to mm-hmm. me and, and I love radio and the idea that that was I, I listened to that as an audio recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, just in just that's what got me into or allowed Fight me to accept. The imagination. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it was just an angle into it. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed writing it and I think lots of essays in there. Yeah, I've read the first one and I've read 
someone in another one. You, you, yeah, ironically, I don't think you've got the one that I wrote for. So. No, I've got, ironically got yeah. the second oh, oh, one. that I wrote for. I, I mean, yeah. I I'm, I'm slightly well. take this personally, but... Can you make it clear to the listeners? <laughs> I've got you and who, the very first one. Yeah. And then I've got part two of a different one. Yeah. If you can explain to anyone listening why I got the wrong part. <laughs> but equally, it's still entertaining because the essays are good. They're not just rehashing the plots and stories. Mm-hmm. It's what happened about people. And some of the older essays, not yeah. older essays, but essays that are written about certain different time periods in the past, quite nice things you've yeah. completely forgotten There's about. One, you mentioned Sucky Cup. Actually, in all seriousness, uh, one of his was really, really good. It's about um, his local library and what that meant to him and being able to obviously this is pre-internet so mm. big stories about Doctor Who being cancelled he'd go to his local library and, and read the papers there and, and go through the sort of archives and things and uh, he talks about having um, a Doctor Who um, book which was I think it was a celebration uh, and he virtually owned that for a year because he would keep going back and uh, <laughs> and loaning it out again until they got wires and then they told him he couldn't have it back again which is a shame um, but so yeah that's a, a great uh, couple of books there and all the uh, proceeds go to children in need so it's all for a good cause definitely ironically so, I gave away the celebration recently because oh, did you? it just annoyed me because I've got this thing now about received fan wisdom and the fact we're t- what I like about these books now is that the, and about the democracy of the internet is that there's mm-hmm. a lot more viewpoints yeah and I, the thing I hated about the celebration book was mm-hmm. it was written by, and a lot of other books written in the 80s, a handful of people holier than thou mm-hmm. said, oh, if you like, this is good who, this is bad who. Yeah. You know, received wisdom. Received wisdom, which I've always had a thing about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it just depressed me to own it, because I think, well, we've moved on from that. It's yeah. a relic from the past. Well, I love the Horns of Nyman, which is mm, it's fantastic. You know, not always the most lauded of stories, but I think it's great. Yeah, I love um, it. And actually, and actually, it's not... It's not a pantomime at all. People, no. When people write about it, mm-hmm. I first spoke with The Prisoner as well, whenever people talk about certain aspects of mm. it, they come out with the same tropes, the same phrases, yeah. and The Haunted Nine One is always described as a pantomime. There's some and really yeah, clever ideas in it, the story. And it's actually quite dark. Mm. It's not, I don't think it's that, that, that fun at all. It's not mm-hmm. like you bung on, you know, just after watching, you know, Faulty Towers. You know, oh, I've got another one. <laughs> no, I think, I think it's, it's, it's not an episode I particularly enjoy. But describing it as a pantomime is unfair when you could hmm. describe Colin Baker's entire tenure as the Doctor as a pantomime. And that's just a costume. <laughs> and that's just a costume, yeah. I think that we love, again, this is like the prisoner, again, going back to the prisoner, we like mm-hmm. to be able to categorise everything neatly and cleanly. Mm-hmm. And, a, a, and a lot of people want to sort of, again, it, perhaps it's the OCD nature of fandom I suppose of any type of thing where you want to kind of have everything spelt out in big letters mm. and that's why the prisoner you keep on going back to it because it's not yeah. quite as it's not a out. beginning middle and end and yeah. it's so difficult to classify just a few more very quick recommendations from me um, David Mitchell's autobiography Backstory fantastic read really really good so I'd recommend that if you're if you like his style of comedy, I think you'll find it quite interesting. Regarding his recent marriage, is he going to change his name to David Mitchell Corrin by any chance? I don't know. He See, Victoria's made an effort. It's at least it, get, it gets as far as Victoria Corrin Mitchell. Yeah, oh, is that yes. she? Oh, I didn't yeah. know. Oh. It gets to the point where he's proposed to her, so that's that's where that. It's weird There's going to be a sequel, isn't there? Probably. It's, very it's probably. weird when people change their name, their names because Jessica Hine yeah. or Hyde, whatever her name is. Yeah. She would always be Jessica Stevenson yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, I'd find it hard, you know, just stick with mm-hmm. the one. I just yeah. think that. Yeah. And this, of course, Jenna Louise get... Coleman has now changed her name to Jenna Coleman. Oh, it should always be JLC to me. With JLC. <laughs> but isn't it wrong when people... It's a very sexist thing that women have to change their name. I just Yeah. That's a relic from yeah. the past as well. Yeah. 
Um, no, that's why they've got Rory, haven't they? What did what did he call uh, oh, Mr. Pond? Rory, Mr. Pond. Mr. Pond. I'm not. I think that's what I am actually. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is nice. Couple of other very quick recommendations. Um, Hannibal, the TV show. I've been watching that um, via Sky, and that's quite entertaining. There's a James Bond link as the guy who played Le Chiffre in. Uh, Lance Vixen. Yeah, and he, he plays Hannibal Lecter. Is that having? No, I like Manhunter uh-huh. and didn't like any of the other Lecter films. That yeah. they, they were very Hollywood dumbed down and disliked them. Well, well, how does Hannibal work as a series compared to a film it's, version? It's, it's set before Manhunter um, and um, Will Graham is actually very on friendly terms with Hannibal Lecter. They're almost colleagues. And uh, I really enjoy it. I know some people have issues with the Will Graham character because of the way that his particular condition is portrayed and um, maybe I don't know enough about the whole sort of because um, it's very much linked with autism and the whole spectrum type thing um, but I find it um, as a complete novice and layman I find it quite an interesting dynamic that they've set up and um, yeah certainly recommend that it can be a bit gory as you probably would expect um, coming from that sort of Thomas Harris background um but yeah i really enjoyed that um also um nosferatu which is a novel by joe hill um joe hill i'm sure he probably gets really tired of being referred to this way is the son (laughs) of stephen king and he writes um horror stories so he's obviously got a bit of a heritage there um the first book i read of his was called heart shaped box um, which i really enjoyed and this if anything i think trumps it i think is a really cleverly written story it's got that those sort of same sort of tropes again that you'd expect from a Stephen King uh, novel and but he's got his own particular spin on it um, and it's really engaging and it's a real page turner um, and it, it starts off with the main character being uh, a young girl and she's given this uh, BMX a rally burner for her birthday and when she's on the burner uh, she can access this portal which allows her to sort of how can I say it it's like a kind of uh, Jimmy and the Magic Talk <laughs> yeah but a slightly more uh, deadly sort of end result yeah it's Jamie like, it's, the Magic Horrific Talk yeah 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 um, and it's, it's yeah it's a really engaging story so yeah I'd certainly recommend that that is the end of my recommendations because otherwise we'll be here all day um, I'll just say one more thing about The Prisoner yeah I, yeah I just suddenly had a thought where what would have been really the, the, who number one was? Mm. It, it had to be himself. I mean, it it, mm-hmm. it had to be really the, yeah. unless it was Daniel Nichols dressed as the devil or something like that, which it perhaps <laughs> wouldn't have been attention seeking stuff like that. It really, but wouldn't it have been clever mm. if when the chair swivelled round, if it had been Lou Grade sat there and he was number one? Oh. How how clever that would have been, and that would have guaranteed him more work. <laughs> <laughs> it would have done, and, and Lou Grade would have loved that. Yeah, yeah, he would have absolutely yeah. loved that. I think that's about television as well. So we've got another there, right there, oh, right there. There was a missed opportunity. It had to be either Lou Grade or himself, or Patrick McGowan. It could have only been one of those two, really. Yeah. Or Danny Nichols, dressed as the devil. <laughs> so um, it had to be one of those three, really. <laughs> so thank you both very much, guys. Thank you, yeah. Peter. Thank you, Bill. Can you think of anything else to say about uh, Prisoner? No. We will think of loads of stuff when we leave. There's we'll probably go. a lot of things we could say. No, a thoroughly enjoyable series. And I've straight enough, I've just let my DVD box set to somebody who's a big sci-fi fan. 
and it's never yeah, seen the prisoner never before. heard of the prisoner no heard of it but oh, never okay. seen it I was gonna but say, never really that... knew what it was about and I'm right. going to be quite looking forward to seeing someone coming new to it Yeah. what they'll say about it probably completely different to everything we've said today it's lovely to have well, a cult TV show that's only 17 episodes mm. because there's a lot of shows when people say you know have you seen this series and then you have to give them three series of a box yeah. set and that's a lot but it's mm. nice that it's bite size especially something like The Wire as well where people will say to you well it doesn't really get going until like series three <laughs> stick yeah. with it you'll really enjoy it yeah if you watch mm. enough of it sit through all the rubbish stuff eventually the last episode is worth it it's yeah. the faulty towers of the sci-fi world <laughs> it's quite nice to all that it's quite nice to bite size as I say yeah yeah. thank you so much guys and be uh, seeing you be seeing yeah, you be seeing, you. Be seeing you <laughs> oh we're so cliched <laughs> Go, that's so it. Done. Right, I'm going to escape now. All right. Okay. Don't send Rome. No, yeah. You think you're going to escape? <laughs> yeah. Go home and find you there. You come back here again. <laughs> yeah. Well, as long as this isn't being recorded, that's the main thing. Yeah. That, that really freaked me out. He records yeah, it. Yeah. It's our surveillance technique. Yeah. We put you in a in a living room. I like the way incidentally, incidentally, because what because what because what Mark actually does, which the listeners at home don't know, is that for every recording of a program, he will mm. dress the place to look like the program. Exactly. Yeah. So it's nice that we've got a massive cavernous yeah. room really high metal walls I've got one of those nice big circular chairs. chairs that you sit in <laughs> what's that big white ball outside <laughs> <laughs> the effort you go to Mark you really yeah. should yeah because we're going to do for the tripods one then I've, I've, paint, I've painted my cat white uh, and called her Rover for the, <laughs> for the duration of this episode raw damn you raw yeah. <laughs> oh well, well we'll have to see what happens uh, well I've already got my head shaved sort of because I'm slightly follically challenged and I'll probably just a really pants looking sort of hairband type thing that they use in the tripod onto my head to signify yeah. that I have been capped. Yeah. <laughs> We're just coming dressed like Jake the Peg or something. Well, <laughs> something like that, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, With let's an not extra go down that road. Diddle, diddle, diddle. Let's not show about my extra leg. Yeah. I think yeah. that's. <laughs> no. That's not for That's here. not a podcast. No, that's not for We need to get to talk about the sequel, Prisoner Cell Block H. Yeah. Get on to that. Quite a shift in tone, I felt. By. Yeah. Although I would have been quite interested oh. to see how Vinegar Tits would have uh, survived in, in Fort Marion, I thought. That I've never seen it, so luckily uh, I, I can't make it. used to be on late at night, my mum yeah, used to watch it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. Everybody else seemed to watch apart from It was real, get home from the pub, slightly inebriated, and watch the thing. Is that why I had a fight? It was all drunk people. Possibly. Possibly. Oh, that was my own experience, anyway. And that's the end, isn't it, Mark? Mark.